Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 10 of the Attack in the Championship podcast. My name is Tom Butterfield. I am your host, as always. And also, let me welcome our resident guest, our certified data analyst, our scout, our FA licensed coach and intermediary, the wonderful David Bromley. How are you doing, David? Well, that's a nice intro, Tom. In it just, they sure wonderful, wonderful in there for you. Yeah, oh. don't know where that came from. I'll take it. <laughs> from the yeah, depths I'm good. of my I'm good, soul, thanks. David. I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> good stuff. So episode 10. Now, we've talked in the past, didn't we talk about our favourite number nines or number nine that really sort of sticks in our memory? Mm. Uh, so I'm throwing this at you again, uh, throwing you off guard a little bit. But mm. uh, number 10? Oh, there's been so many, haven't there? Number 10s. And yeah, I, I should have been ready for this. Position. But I wasn't. Um, you know, surely you've got to go with Pele. If you've seen Pele, haven't you? No. Like there's been Maradona, Platini. Yeah, you know, exactly. Oh, that's that's the thing players. is you've you've got so many of them, and you've even got you no know, is is Pele a ten? Is he a nine? I mean, I know he played number ten, mm. but in our classifications, you know, was he more of a strike or a chance creator? Mm. Uh, probably a bit of everything, to be honest. If you could well, have I think left he back, probably was. <laughs> yeah, I think they said, "What number do you want to wear, Pella?" <laughs> <That's laughs> right, if he well, said well, one, and they'd have given him that. Yeah, go they? for it. Yeah, go yeah. for it. Yeah. What about you? Um, I think number number ten for me, I suppose, was probably Maradona because of the uh, the, the the timing of it. You know, probably eighty six. He really, um, you know, I was only. A, a young pup then david just like mm, yourself i'm yeah, sure, I'm sure yeah. <laughs> and uh yeah he sort of came into consciousness pretty pretty much in in 86 and mm. then he was just fantastic you know when he went to napoli and and just the things he could do he was pretty much untouchable wasn't he well absolutely i think our england team in was it 86 was it yeah, yeah. we couldn't touch him could we no 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 one could get anywhere near him he nah. made good players look like pub players didn't they mm, to be honest absolutely yeah but then yeah. would Leo Messi be classified under our uh, classification mm. as a 10 or would he be a nine as well? And again, could we just well, say he's, he's going to, uh, I know, I don't know the answer really. Because um, if we look know. at the two, the two guys have dominated the last sort of 10 years, really in Cristiano Ronaldo and, and Messi, mm. I would say that Ronaldo has maybe developed more from a, chance creator into a pure striker mm. whereas i would still find that leo messi if he played as a nine or if you played as a as a 10 i think he could do both roles just as just as well i mean i think of him more as a chance creator just because mm. of his playing style but he's scored yeah. so many goals how could you say he's not a striker yeah, that's that's i think that's the big yeah. difference between ronaldo and messi isn't it is the the number of assists that, yeah. that Messi's got. I mean, I know we don't like assists mm. uh, as a as a pure mm. metric, but that does give you an idea of of being in position to create chances. Isn't yeah, it? sure. Yeah, I think so. More yeah, a team think, player, Messi. I think really. Yeah, I, I think so. I think so. I think you could probably um, probably pop him into most teams and in, increase their attacking output on on many levels. Um, definitely. We did our we did our top twelve last last week, didn't we? Which was interesting. Just having a good overall view of the the, the top twelve teams in the championship. Mm. And when we were looking at Sunderland, I mentioned that we thought that perhaps Sunderland had had a harder first uh, sort of 12, 13 games than maybe other teams. You know, played more teams in the top half of the championship currently, which sort of pulled on a bit of a thread, didn't it, for us? And, uh, yeah. and as as usual, you know, we wanted to see, well, is that true or is it not true? So this is where I sort of hand this over to you. So what did you find, David? Well, it was an interesting comment and it's... Um... I like this kind of exploration uh -huh. to try and see if there is something lurking 
you know, behind the obvious. Um, it's in, it's fun to do it, and you hope you're going to find something, you know, enormously revealing and unexpected. The background to this, I suppose you'd say, is by the end of the year, everybody will have played each other once. And at that point, at least on the face of it, you could say, well, everyone's had a chance against everybody. So really, the league tables at that time, at the, at the turn of the year, the league table is expressing, you know, the reality of who's the strongest. Mm. Um, now, as we stand, we're halfway through that, a little a, a game over halfway through that. So it is a legitimate question, I think, to ask, to say, because of the randomness of the fixture generator, you know, could it be that a team, whether it's Sunderland or anybody else, has just played more of the top teams or more of the stronger teams and other teams have played more of the weaker teams? And it's quite possible that that could be the case. So that's sort of really, I think, what was behind your question. And it's a, therefore, it's a good time, I think, after sort of 13, 14 games, it's a good time to be looking at this. You've got enough games on the board so that, there's a little bit of robustness in the numbers. But if you leave it too long, you know, everybody's played everybody and you don't learn anything. So I think it was a good time. We're thinking about how we might approach this. And we've created a what I would call a pseudo-league table. So we've said, if we took every game that's been played, we know the distribution of points game by game. We know the scores and therefore who where the points were allocated. But if we were to modify that distribution of points by in two two dimensions one by the strength of the opposition of the team so you're a team and you play a game and you win the game one nil so on the face of it you get three points and the opposition gets no points but if you were to modify that first of all by the strength of the team that you played and then whether or not the game was played at home or away then it might when we put everything back together at the end, we might get a different perspective and it might be an interesting perspective. So the first thing you need to do is just decide how are you going to allocate these points differently? And I thought of a few different ways of doing it, but in the end came back to the old tried and trusted, well, look, teams that have got more financial resource are going to be stronger. Mm. Um, and there were several reasons why I sort of deviated from that and then came back to it again, which probably be a bit boring but in the end that's what what i thought would be the most sensible way of doing it and then you have to think to yourself well how quite do you do this because we've talked about the wide range of um financial resource there is in this division some of the team squads and i took the first of september the day after the transfer window closed in the summer and the value of or the, the notional value of the squads on that day after the, the transactions had been carried out to determine the strength of the teams. So, but the first thing you notice when you look at them is, well, look, some of these teams, their squads are kind of 250 million. Hmm. And then other teams are barely 20 million. So do I really want to say that one team is 12 and a half times stronger than the other? You know, it's <laughs> if I start allocating points on the basis of, you know, if you get a point against me, it's worth 12 and a half. <laughs> Um, as opposed to one, if you get a point against some other team, then I think it's going to skew things. So you have to kind of be a little bit careful in how you do it. And I came up with this idea, well, we've got groups of teams. The strongest group are undoubtedly the three teams that came down from the Premier League mm -hmm. um, yeah. because they just have deep, high-value, high-quality squads. 
and they just are significantly stronger, I think. Um, and then you've got three teams at the other end of the spectrum. If you look at the teams that came up, I mean, we've all been, well, I say we've all been, I've been confounded by Ipswich, mm-hmm. probably more than most. And I know some some people had been sort of predicting that they were going to finish very high. And I thought they'd be decent from what I'd seen of them, but I, I must admit they've outperformed my expectations. Yeah, been fantastic, haven't they? You have. But then when you look at but when you look at the the finances available to the teams, you know, they are obviously going to be up against it. They're, they'll be challenged to to compete. And there are some teams like Rotherham who, you know, just don't have the finances. Um and even some teams who've managed to establish themselves in this division, the Millwalls, um, you know, even the Bristol Cities, teams like that, who you don't expect them to go down. Mm-hmm. Um, they haven't really been managing to push themselves into the, the playoff places, but they're established teams, but they're doing it on quite low budgets. Mm-hmm. Um, and so anyway, that's that was one perspective. So we we tried to value the squads and say, well, the, the team strength re- is represented by the value of these squads. The other way of looking, and the other dimension was whether the game was played at home or away. And to try and help with this, I looked back over the last five seasons to establish the difficulty of acquiring points at home compared to the difficulty of acquiring them away. And I was a little bit surprised that it, there wasn't more of a, uh, a discrepancy there. But okay. it seems like there's about a 25% difficulty, additional difficulty rating in getting a point away from home to being at home so so basically we took the number of points and then we modified them by those numbers and then we said well yeah depending on who you played whether you played them at home whether you played them away we're going to give you a new value and then we're going to add those up and see where they they fall so that's a little bit of background hopefully it makes sense um and we came up with a new league table the pseudo league table we did indeed (laughs) Gotcha. So on the right Got side of the screen, is that the actual league table, is it? So the right side, yeah, is the actual mm-hmm. league table there. So Leicester, obviously, yeah. Leicester, Ipswich, Leeds, so on. Mm-hmm. And then I split these into home and away. So we figured out kind of, you know, what the league table would have been just based on home matches, but using those modifiers. Yeah. And, you know, you can see some differences there. Ipswich and Leicester, I'd have to say more or less just come through this with mm. they're just outplaying everybody and yeah. they, they're where they deserve to be. So whatever you, which, whichever way you look at it, you know, it's, they're not there because they've played weaker teams. They're not there because they've gained points in more difficult circumstances. They're just there because they've been playing well and do it and, and yeah. winning <laughs> games. So, you know, that's more or less it. The first thing I suppose you might notice is Hull City's away form i mean they end up second in the away league um so all that's doing is it's reflecting points they've gained away from home and the difficulty of gaining those points and then the over i suppose the one that we're mostly interested in is the overall league table and as i say leicester and ipswich are first and second there but the first surprise i guess and the main surprise of all of this you might say is in third place middlesbrough in third Hmm. um who are actually in 10th place as it stands. So there's seven places. When you look at the difficulty, I had a quick skim through their away games and they've won some away games recently against opponents who, you know, you'd say would be strong opponents. Watford, mm-hmm. I think, um, 
Sunderland. Um, I think another one recently, top of my head, I've forgotten who it was, but um, teams that, you know, would have would have been high up in that league okay. of, um, of financial muscle. Um, and that would have added quite a bit to their score. Um, so you can, you know, fourth place, Hull City, they're three points yeah. in our pseudo league. Yeah. They end up three places higher than they actually are. Uh-huh. Um, and- it's interesting because last last week, sort of going back to the the top twelve, we talked about teams that seemed to be on the up, didn't they? And, and Middlesbrough were unsurprisingly one of them. You now their results have obviously been very good up to their <laughs> last game, uh, <laughs> but um, you know their form. I think they've won six out of seven, haven't they? Yeah. And this sort of backs that up, doesn't it? Showing that they're they're certainly you know on the on the rise and could potentially be be higher on our strength of schedule. And then there were yeah. were two teams that we also talked about. We had the top three seemed to be pretty set, didn't we? Thinking Leicester, Ipswich, and Leeds. Yeah, you know, from the attacking output, looked very solid. Yeah, and then we had almost the the opposite of fourth, fifth, and sixth being Preston, uh, Cardiff, and West Brom, didn't we? Yeah, and we said that we had more more faith in the top three staying where they where they were than all three of the the four, five, and six then in the playoffs. Mm. And, and interestingly, we've got two teams that are maybe, well, would slip down our, our pseudo-league table, wouldn't they? Yeah, I mean, all three of those are 10, 11, and 12 in our pseudo-league <laughs> table, aren't yeah. they? West Brom, yeah. Cardiff. West Brom and Cardiff, five places below where mm. they actually are, and Preston, three. But, yeah, I suppose that that's saying something. I mean, West Brom, are, you know, West Brom win again away from home. They're really interesting, aren't they? They're, they are very interesting. They're hard to pin mm. down to a, yeah. a style of play. Um, you know, we know we know they're making making do really with with a, a relatively thin squad. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't suppose you know the the Sheffield Wednesdays and the and the Rotherhams are going to be crying too much <laughs> for them because they'll still sure. see them as being a you know a strong club, which they are. But they've got they've got very they've got no well. They've got one recognised striker, and um, you know they're, they're still That's up right. there. And they, they, I don't know. Good luck the, to the, them. The interesting thing, we looked back, didn't we, on the uh, when we were looking back at West Brom and Stoke in one of the earlier episodes, we sort of went down a little rabbit hole looking at the playing style, didn't we? And then we saw at that point, I think after about six games, that West Brom really were a very homogenised. You know, there was no clear playing style there at all was there from our five that we we outline mm. and we we said well you know is this something that carlos Corbrand does so we looked back didn't we at huddersfield's playoff run uh when he yes, took over we and we actually found that it looked remarkably similar yes and yeah. and that sort of started a conversation where we we said well is carlos Corbrand a, a coach who gets his team set up to play a certain way or does he set his team up to play against the opponent that he's mm. facing? What, what would you what would you say to that? Uh, I would say that that's a good question. It's an interesting question. I've, you know, I, in fact, thinking about that question and also thinking mm. about this whole concept of runs of games and you know, do managers look or head coaches look at runs of games and say, well. Look, we think we could get this number of points from these games, but we're mm-hmm. going to be struggling in those games. And yeah, um, I it 
what it what it brings to my mind is I think I think managers will tend to say they don't look at runs of games and say oh yeah we we need to take four points from these three games or whatever what they do is they look at each individual game and say what's the challenge that this particular game presents to us mm-hmm. and how can we best set up to address that challenge and it's a subtle it's a subtle issue this mm-hmm. because it makes me this might sound strange it it brings to mind a, a circumstance that that I've experienced in the past. I used to play a bit of blackjack years ago. Okay, yeah. Um, and if you've played blackjack sort of reasonably seriously, you'll be aware of a concept called basic strategy. And basic strategy says, and I'm assuming uh, we won't go into the rules of the game or too much of the technicality of There's the another game. another podcast coming now, it might, <laughs> it might be, but it might be dull as anything for, for a lot of people. But Not if you help people win in Vegas. You'll, be, uh, well, you'll get plenty right. of people. Not sure I can it. promise that. Um, <laughs> but um, if, if, you look at, if you look at the game and how to approach it, mm-hmm. um, there's a thing called basic strategy. And what, what you, the first thing you do is you learn how to approach the opening situation where you can see your two cards and one of the dealer's cards, the upturned card of the dealer. So the combination of the two cards you have and the one card that you can see of the dealer determines your first move. Mm. And there is only ever one right move to make given that combination. It's not discretionary. It's mathematical. So you can say, if I have, um, say, a five and a seven, so I've got 12, and the dealer's upturned card is, say, a picture card, then there's a right move for me to make. And it, and you have to learn every single combination of cards. So you say, if I see this, I do that. So I either ask for another card or I stick with what I have. So it's, very, it's a very objective thing rather than a subjective thing. It's absolutely, 100% objective. Yeah, gotcha. there's no there's no way I thought in this case I'd do this. It's mm-hmm. he's got this or she's got this card, I've got these two cards. Therefore, the right thing for me to do is take another card or stick with what I have. So even to the point where sometimes, and this will sound ridiculous perhaps to people who haven't played the game much, sometimes you stick on 12. So right. if you have 12 and the dealer's upturned card is a certain is, is a four, five, or six, I believe it is, mm-hmm. then you stick with your 12. Now, what you'll find is the person sitting next to you, who's the next in line, will be lambasting you sometimes because you'll lose, you, you'll cause them to take uh, to be subject to a card from the dealer that you would have been subject to if you'd taken it. Right, and therefore, okay. they've busted but they wouldn't have busted if you'd taken it. And they'll say, how the hell can you stick on 12? If you had to pass for another card, you'd have got that shit card. And I would have been okay. And they and they will genuinely think that you're, you're an idiot. And uh-huh. a lot of this goes on. So, but the fact is, now, why why am I talking, you know, people will think perhaps, what, what, what the hell's that got to do with football? <laughs> what podcast am I on? <laughs> so, but the point about this is, look, in a given situation, you may well be the underdog. And you've been dealt a weaker hand than your opponent. So if you could, you can think of it as being, if you're 
you know, just to pick a team, please don't think I'm picking on you. If you're QPR mm-hmm. and you're going into a game at Ipswich, for argument's sake, yeah, there's theoretically, I would say, a right way to approach that game in order to give yourself the best chance of A, winning the game, or B, drawing the game. Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't mean that you expect to get anything out of that game necessarily. All it means mm-hmm. is, given your relative strengths, the best way for you to approach that game, if you were to play that game a hundred times, would be to play it in this way. Yeah, And it's, you know, if you're not used to thinking like this, then it, it becomes kind of strange where you think, well, hang on. So surely you set up in a way that you expect to win. You, you probably don't. You set up in a way that gives you the best chance of winning, but you yeah. even though you don't expect to win, you can so, still you can still be a fifty to one shot. Uh, but if you played a different way, you might be a two hundred to one shot kind of sure. thing. Sure. Yeah, so yeah. Give me so, that, but that's interesting. So, um, so, so, so I think sorry, for, but just to kind yeah, of go for it. trying to bring that into some context still, because I'm not sure if I've I've done it terribly well, but. Um, I think what what coaches do is they just take the next game, but they say, look, we know where we are. We know Mm -hmm. where we are in terms of our strengths and and our weaknesses and the opponent's strengths and their weaknesses. And we set up in such a way as it gives us the best chance in these circumstances. But underneath, we probably know still know where we are. Mm -hmm. And therefore, that's why you see sometimes when teams are at home, they're setting up in different ways to when they're away, when they're playing stronger opponents, they're setting up in different ways to weaker opponents. And you get, you know, you you often get fans saying, oh, you know, why don't we play with four at the back? When we play with four at the back, we always do better than when we play with three at the back. Well, not necessarily. You probably do in certain situations. Hmm. But in other situations, you know, and when we do set up with three at the back and we lose, that doesn't mean it was the wrong thing to do because we would have probably lost. We're probably losing because of the relative strength. Sure. rather than the way that we play. But if we set up in this way, we give ourselves the best chance, even though it might not be a very good chance. <laughs> so anyway, I, I apologise if that was no, I, a bit I, convoluted I like or a bit, you know. The, but... the bit that I got from that, um, well, one of the bits I got from that, one of the things that really interested me was was the cards that you can see. So the cards that you've got and the cards the dealer have got. So if we put that to a football perspective i suppose you've got the two managers and we've got the two two head coaches and we're saying well what can what can i see from leicester uh, if we're playing leicester and if i'm plymouth you know i know what i've got and they've they've seen what i've got so far this season as well and do you because I've, I've heard of some managers just saying look we're just going to go out don't worry about the opposition we're just going to do what we do best mm. and i guess from from that that's that's not really objectively driven is it that's a bit more subjective i would say um I, yeah i suppose you might do that if you say if if you're so strong relatively mm-hmm. that you say um you know we have the we have the resources if you're a leicester city yeah in the championship or a manchester city in the premier league mm-hmm. you may say we know what our strengths are and we know nobody can compete with them. Sure. So if we concentrate on trying to exploit our strengths rather than negating the weaknesses of the opponent, we're better off than if we mm. try to, you know, in some way sort of combine 
those two things. I mean, I don't know. I, th- I think for most teams, yeah, you, you definitely want to be looking at both sides of the coin, don't you? I would, I would think so. And and I, I wonder as well whether, you know, you, we, we mentioned Leicester, we mentioned Manchester City. I suppose when you are that dominant in a league or seemingly so dominant in a, in a league, do they see the need to dig in deeper into the data? You know, is there as much they can, they can gain? I mean, I'm sure there are things that they can gain, but it's when you look at the teams, you know, towards the middle, you know, can they be the ones that, that over, overachieve by looking? Um, I suppose what I'm trying to say is financial, in financial situations, when, when things are going very well, people tend just to do what's been done. Mm. Whereas in times of recession, you have to be a bit more, probably a bit more flexible and, and, mm. and adaptable and ingenious with, with yeah. what you're doing. Because you have to get, yeah, yeah progressive yeah. and get more from the resources that you have because it may well be that, that the, the parts, you need to add them up to be more than the, the sum of the parts, if, if you like. I was and, just going to say to you, do, do you think it's what you're referring to is more to do with if you're charged with achieving more than is expected of you, uh-huh. then you have to approach things in a different way than if you're charged with just achieving your sure. potential i guess you know? there is there is the potential for whether complacency is the right word i don't know but if if you were a leicester city uh, or an ipswich now because we've in a leeds because we're saying they're we're pretty sure they're going to be up there you know for most of the season if not all of it is there potential for a little bit of complacency of not looking into this stuff that could mm. increase your chances of of maybe winning by two percent three percent whereas you're, you're saying well we're already 85 percent sure to win this mm. is do we feel the work is is worth it and of course mm. it should always be worth it because you're always looking to maximize what you've got aren't you yeah i mean i wonder do they would a more or would an appropriate response be if you're one of those three teams for example mm-hmm. to say our job is to perform is to execute our game plan to our a complete potential, and mm-hmm. if we do that, we don't think we can lose. Sure, the only way we can lose is if we don't do that. Uh-huh. But then that does then that begs the question of, of when you don't do that, when you don't um, execute your plan to its potential, is that because you made a mistake, or is it because your opponent mm. actively managed to stop you? Yeah, absolutely. Because so it yeah, could I'd be. Yeah, it could get to the point where, or you could dig into the data enough, and I think we've talked about this just in conversation, where someone says, do you know what, they score you know, 22% of their goals from set pieces, and we've noticed that 85% of those set piece goals are left-sided outswinging corners. Right. So it would be a, you know, it's a rabbit hole to go down. It would take some effort to go down there, and then you could use that data to say, well, let's have a look at the clips of those. Let's get the analysis team onto looking at all the left-sided outswinging corners. Mm. Do they set up in a certain way? What do they do? And then what have the defence done to either combat those or to succumb to them and conceal a goal from it? And can you set yourself up in in that way? Mm. So you, you can sort of dig into it as deep as you want, I suppose, couldn't you? I, I can't think of a reason why you wouldn't do that. Mm. You know, I can't I can't think of a genuine justification for saying that you don't think that's important 
Yeah. Can you really? No, However good no, you are, it, it's it can't be disadvantageous to do it to to know everything you can know mm-hmm. about your opponent and how they might hurt you. Yeah. Um. So yeah, if you weren't to do it, it surely you'd have to say that's complacency, wouldn't you? Yeah, I, I think so because you you're not doing everything in your power to to win and mm. but i guess you've you've got the human nature element haven't you mm. you know and it's just you know i'll go back to the financial thing again you know in, in times of in times of plenty that's probably the time when most things are wasted yeah. um, and, and in times of recession that's when the most development and ingenuity goes on and you get the most progression because yeah. there's the need for it isn't there absolutely you know, if you're, yeah if you're is. expected to get 120 points and win the league is there much human need to to progress and push and really find those things? Yeah, uh, there probably is. If you're, you know, expected to finish three points in the, you know, into relegation, uh, and you you're trying to desperately find that three, four, five points in order to keep yourself keep your status in the league. Yeah, it'd be. Yeah, no, be inter- I agree. Be interesting if you know we can we can keep an eye on things like that. I suppose necessity, the mother of invention, is what yeah. you're referring to. But yeah. I, I, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, mm. that, that's it. And I quite often say to say to people you know they'll be starting a new project or doing something and and they'll say but how am i going to do this it's like well you you just will you know if you really need to you just will because Mm. you've got no choice (laughs) you've just got to do it yeah no i think that's right and i think that's you you tend to see more um innovation probably from the teams that are either in threatened or the teams that desperately want to punch above their weight don't you Mm. yeah you know the Luton Towns last year, um, probably the Huddersfields from before, um, maybe the Ipswiches. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't know, as I say, that that much about their, um, relatively speaking, because we haven't seen that much of it. We've seen quarter of a season, but um, yeah, that's. I would guess that's where most of the innovation tends to come from. Cool. Mm. Yes, yeah, it is. It's um, it's interesting, but I, I think that's generally what we're trying to get across isn't it in this podcast and have a look at is look at these these dark areas these shaded areas i suppose yeah that are maybe being missed you know looking at these objective areas these these blackjack uh sort of uh realms mm. where you say well i know what cards i've got and i can actually see a lot more of your cards and maybe even some cards that you don't know about because i can look at the way your team plays um and from that i can then set myself up to know what decisions I make. I well, think that's an, really There's an interesting level beyond, and I don't want to make this episode all about Blackjack, <laughs> but there's an interesting level beyond basic strategy. Basic strategy takes you from being playing a game where the odds are against very much against you, like nearly every other game that you'll mm-hmm. find in a casino, to being able to narrow the odds to only slightly against you. But there's another level which is mm-hmm. you've probably heard of, which is card counting, which yeah, means yeah, that yeah. you, because what you basically want is you want picture cards, tens and picture cards and aces. Right. That's what you want. And you don't want the middle kind of five, sixes, sevens. You don't want those cards. So, and you want the dealer to have those. So when you count the cards that are coming out of the pack, what you're basically doing is saying, I'm counting the good cards and the bad cards. And I'm, I'm I'm figuring out whether the deck is what's left in the deck by a process mm-hmm. of elimination is good for me or bad for me. Right. And when it's good for me, I'll adjust my betting strategy 
to take mm. advantage of it. So although I've narrowed the odds to the point where they're only slightly against me, I can swing it in my favour because I can. I'm the only one who can change the level of the betting. The house has to cover me, so I can bet small when things aren't going too well, looking too good, yeah. and big when they are. So, like, without getting too kind of heavy into, it. but what in a funny way, maybe is there is a, a, a parallel because yeah. you you I can think so. you know you can look and see when when things are in your favour and you can take certain actions when they're in your favour. Um, but it's all about knowing the underlying um, dynamism of of the game, isn't it? It's under, it's about understanding enough about when things might be in your favour, yeah, um, to be able to know how to act in those situations and but, would you would you say so if, if we were looking at if we were talking about the the cards right so the equivalent cards for football teams what would be what would be those would would general general playing style be be one of those cards um the cards that we might be looking to count in our analogy. Uh, yeah, so we're, we're I trying guess to figure if, out. If we were looking at if we were looking at basic strategy first of all, you know, yeah. the cards and, and things. Yeah, what what would be the things that we'd look at if if we were imagining them to be like cards? Yeah. Um, gosh, <laughs> you've asked me. We're, we're sort of inventing um, this as, as we yeah, go. we are kind of inventing it. I don't know. Um, <sighs> I, I would say playing style would be one, and maybe. And maybe we could go deeper and, and say, well, playing style home and away, maybe playing style when in the lead and playing style when they're behind. Uh, well, that's, style... I was going to say to you, maybe the playing style and that kind of thing are more the basic strategy. You know, how mm -hmm. am I going to approach yeah. this? Because I know the players they've got. I know the players we've got. I know mm -hmm. the, the style of play that they seem to prefer to employ and the, yeah. when they do better and so on. Maybe the other, maybe things like game state, in other mm -hmm. words, you know, who's winning and who's losing and, um, and there might be other kind of intangibles yeah. that I would pick up on and say, ah, we can exploit them when mm -hmm. these things occur. You know, so we've noticed that um, when they go behind, they struggle because um, they then they're not so effective against um, defenses that are packed with mm -hmm. um, opponents and where there's very little space. So yeah. we that might obviously feed into the way you set up in the first place, but sure. there might be things that happen during the course of the game that you would then say, when we've noticed when these things happen, then it could swing the odds a little bit more in our favour, and we'll do these things and we'll do those things. So mm. I mean, if you if you can carry the analogy on, maybe that might be it. Might be worth it. Might be interesting to think about this and talk yeah. about it yeah, some just, more. But just seeing because I think that the data. We've got just lost a headphone there. Um, I think that the data that we've got does have the potential for being for taking you past that basic strategy, mm. you know, to, to getting a, a deeper understanding of of where things, you know, where teams are successful and what brings them most of their success. Because there is so much data, but there is so much it becomes almost unusable mm. for, for some for some people, doesn't it? And and if you're gonna if you're oh, gonna definitely. have an analysis for a game. I wouldn't necessarily want someone to bring me 20 A4 sheets of analysis of, of the opponents or of us mm. because you it's an overwhelmed situation, isn't it? There's too much. How can you possibly put all of that into a, a coaching plan mm. enough to make it, you know, you've maybe got three or four days in between, you know, one game to the next at best in the championship, you know, to, to use all of that and, and put that into the uh, enough information into a condensed form to actually make it make a difference 
come the Saturday or the Tuesday, whatever day you're, you're, you're working. I think that's where the skill comes in, Tom. The skill comes in trying to figure out the what are the insights that are coming out of this. We've got lots of information. We've got yeah. lots of data. And from that data, we can elicit information that we can use. But what are the insights? You know, what are the like things that, that we, we can actually use um, either in training with our players to set mm-hmm. them up in a certain way or during the game where we can make in-game changes or how we can set set up for a particular opponent. Um, and you don't, you're absolutely right. You don't want reams and reams of these things. You want maybe, you know, two or three things that you can feel confident about and that are not obvious. And that's where you get, you gather all the information you can, but you're trying to come out with things that are usable and translatable. Because that's the other, you know, the other thing is you have different types of people, don't you? You have people who are comfortable looking at data and um, analytics. And then you have people who, who just aren't, and but they want it, they want the message. Hmm. Just tell me what this means or tell me what I can yeah. do. Yes. I've got three days, you know, I've... I've got this amount of time with the players. I've got this amount of time with my coaches. These are the things I can tell me with some of the things that you think I can do as a result of what you found out that might make the difference. Yeah. And that that's, that's the real skill. I think I'm thinking, thinking about that because I, I love the word. I love the concept of, of changing information into insights because we mm. can all have lots of information, can't we? But it, is it going to actually translate into something that will make a difference as, as mm. you said? And, I was sort of looking at it and thinking, well, the the overall sort of head coach, you know, looking at the playing style and how the team is going to set up as a unit is important. But then you could also take it deeper and have each individual player. Because because ideally, I suppose you you want from your basic strategies uh, from from blackjack into footballs to say, well, when this happens, we do this, and when mm-hmm. this happens, we do this, and it become quite objective. So you, mm. the decision making is is kind of taken away from from things a little bit because it's like we we know that this is going to be the best chance of us achieving our success we're not saying we're going to achieve success every time but we know this is probably the best way and whether there would be things where you could say to a fullback for example your opponent this week they love to go uh, they love to cut inside as soon as they get to the edge of the box they want to cut inside and you know hit a shot off the left or right foot whatever side you're coming off of so when their body shape shows this you do this Mm. just an insight like that and then no no further or a Mm. centre midfielder saying well your your opponent likes to receive the ball uh, on the half turn and then turn out and and switch play you know something like that Mm. and whether that's Mm. some information that you can turn into an insight that makes a difference uh, definitely yeah I mean in an ideal world of course you'd be able to feed everything Mm. into a massive um, computer and just have the computer say, you know, do this. Yeah. But this there, there the are difficulties thing. with that. <laughs> yeah, there are difficulties with that, which are, I mean, again, let's take it back to the blackjack again. So mm-hmm. you might know basic strategy, but you're going to make mistakes because you're a human being. So sometimes mm-hmm. you're going to ask for a card when you should stick because you haven't, you know, you knew, you learned it, but you made a, an error in the calculation or you forgot hang on, what, what do I do? Do I do this? Do I do this? Or you just mm. lose concentration and you you thought you'd seen something you didn't see. So it's all very well. A computer would never make that mistake sure. ever. 
you know, and you wouldn't have to be a very powerful computer for you to teach it what to do mm-hmm. with the combinations of cards. It would be a simple, a simple job. But a human being, of course, isn't going to do that. And so a, a, a footballer or anybody is going to, yes, you, you'd like to be able to say, look, I've told him now everything that could possibly happen in the course of this 90 minutes. And he knows, or she knows exactly what to do in every single situation. But even if that were the case, it's hard to imagine you could do that. It's not going to happen, is it? Because no. people are going to misread a situation or they're going to, they're going to forget what they were told or they're going to make a miscalculation or something and it's mm-hmm. going to go wrong. So, it, but theoretically, you could, you know, if if you had enough of data, uh, if you had enough information, if you had enough um, date, raw data on football matches and mm-hmm. different teams and what they did, you could, if you kind of extrapolate this out almost infinitely you could get to a point where you say we know how to beat this team because um you know i mean it brings you on to the subject of ai doesn't it this is what ai does this is exactly what ai does is it Mm. says just run these programs to the point where we run every single possibility and we know the best one to take next and then we know the best one to take next and the best one to take next and so on Mm. so yeah in theory certain things can be done in practice, you have to realise that there are limitations, just like there are, you know, a blackjack table. Cool. Someone's had a fit too much to drink and they've forgotten, <laughs> yeah, whatever it might be. Um, is that why the drinks are free in casinos? I don't know if they well, are or not. But, they uh, are, and, it, and it is they? why okay. they're free. Of course yeah. it is. Yeah. And it's also why on a on a roulette table, and I'm going to make myself sound like a gambler, which I'm not, but <laughs> um, they'll show you where the ball landed the last 20 times or so on, which is of no value to you at all. Yeah. Yeah, but they they realise people think it is. But get, getting back to this this as well. Mm-hmm. So if owners of football clubs, it strikes me, were looking at things like this, and I'm, I'm sure in some cases they do. You know, it may help to inform certain decisions about. You know, is it time to get rid of the manager because we are sitting nineteenth in the league um, after twelve games? But do we really know how how difficult those twelve games have been? in an objective way can we compare those 12 games with the next 12 yeah um in some way and do we are we actually if we think if we did some calculations do we think actually we're probably four or five places above where where we where we see it it's the old story it's the old question mm-hmm. does the league table lie you know maybe it does yeah for we're a while saying it, we're after 46 it games it doesn't because yeah. no. everyone's played everybody home and away and you know they they're where they deserve to be, aren't they? That's it. I mean, but, coming on, um, coming on to that subject, we've we've had a few management casualties, haven't we? We've had Queens mm. Park Rangers and Bristol City in a fairly short space of time from each other, and and Millwall a little bit a little bit before that. Mm. So I mean, look looking at our league table, we're thinking, well, you know, Queens Park Rangers potentially could be a, a place further up than they they should have been. Um, would that make a difference to the decision making? Maybe yes, maybe no. Mm, and we've got Bristol City. No, probably not. I mean, they, they did look pretty poor, didn't they? Yeah. They were struggling. Um, and then we've got Bristol City should potentially by our pseudo league table be four places lower. So yeah, we'd say if that was the case, then you know, maybe the the owners have have looked and said, Well, actually we're thinking we're kind of getting away with it at the moment. And maybe now's a better time yeah. to do it than <laughs> than any well, other. Yeah, I wonder if they did, yeah. Mm. Maybe. I think the Queen's Park Rangers one's interesting because 
I think when we go back to uh, go back to our recruitment episode that we did. So if, if people haven't listened to that, go back and listen to, to David's explanation of his his re- recruitment uh, sort of idea of, of how the whole system should be set up. We talk about pattern of play, don't we, or, or style of play? Should mm. say we talk about style of play with teams. And Queens Park Rangers, their previous manager was relieved of his duties, which I think is no surprise to Queens Park Rangers to have a new manager. But they got in uh, Gareth Ainsworth, wasn't it? Yeah. Who is who is known for playing very direct football, which is very different to what Queens Park Rangers were playing last season. So, is it a surprise to see that the squad that doesn't have a lot of money to turn it around, turn the players around, has struggled to play Gareth Ainsworth style? And, and is that why they've made the the change? Well, I think a, a number of people were slightly surprised, to say the least, when they appointed him i mean i know he's a, an ex-player there and mm-hmm. you know club legend and all that um and i mean he's had some kind of success mm-hmm. um before so he at wickham before he's at wickham yeah and, yeah. He's, and you could say he wickham, probably overachieved you know, getting them into yeah. the championship wouldn't you yeah 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 absolutely um so you can sort of from those angles you can see it but i think people did look at it and say hang on a minute this guy's got players there that you know flair players in a team that, as you say, played, like to play good football, like to have the ball. Mm-hmm. And he's just, um, you know, he's he's just a master. He's the wizard of S-housery, yeah. to put it, you know, yeah. crudely. Um, and and I'm not sure what anybody could, lots of people couldn't really see that fit, could they, from the start? No, it was difficult um, to see how that was going to go well. Yeah, it was really. So, um yeah, I think they've it's turned out the way that probably a lot of people thought it would, really. But um, yeah, so, so I don't know. Are they a are they a dark horse for the second half of the season if they get somebody who can yeah, sort of really I don't know they've got a really guy in a Spanish guy in, didn't they? I can't yeah. remember his name off the top of my head. But I don't I don't really know much about him, I must mm. I must admit, but I don't think many people did. They've, he's been talked about as being a bit of a left field mm. um uh, sort of appointment, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's gonna be a bad thing. Mm. But hopefully what they've what they've learned from their last decision is we need to get someone in who's going to play a style that suits our squad. Yeah. Um, now, that sounds a bit like a process uh, that they'd have to go through. And I'm wondering whether QPR have really shown over the last sort of few seasons, at least, that there is any sort of process no, in, in place. The there. answer to that, they haven't. Yeah. Um, you're right. You're absolutely right. But, you know, maybe that. Let's see. Let's see if they if they've. Usually, what happens is that it, not just in football, in anything. Usually, people lurch from what kind of they want the complete opposite of what didn't work last time. Sure, you know. So you go from a foreign manager to a domestic, you know, mm-hmm. manager. You go from a young manager to an experienced manager, or vice versa. You go because it didn't work, so it must be everything about it must have been wrong. So we'll get the complete opposite. Um, but you know, let's see. I mean, I I do think I can't see it, it's got to get better, isn't it? Really, um, but it can't get much worse, can it? Because I, I think, but you know, who's Mr. Warnock's looming, isn't he? Really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's still there's still going to be teams around who could. There's who could still take time him for them, to, even for them. I think. Yeah. Because I'm not sure how it goes, but well, that's, that's he's always going to be looming, and when a team is kind of you know in that situation. Yeah, he's always going to be around. People are going to be going like, yeah, it's only a matter of time before next, he comes in. 
yeah, if the next 12 games don't give go it another plan, 12 games, yeah, <laughs> yeah, anyway, I don't know. We might be talking about that in the new year, then, yeah, I think so. Possibly, we'll see. Uh, good stuff. Um, no, that's that's interesting. No, that's that's good. So, I mean, that was that was our sort of pseudo league table, I suppose, mm. and also our our uh, 101 to, to blackjack and uh, and gambling <laughs> with basic strategies. Yeah, <laughs> we'll move on to card counting next time. Yeah, and <laughs> I'll be taking notes for that definitely. Mm. We well, get uh, into but, trouble for that, by the way. <laughs> oh yeah, it's not allowed, is they it? They take you out in the desert. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it's it's not illegal, but it, it's not. Let's say it's frowned upon. Yeah, yeah. Well, casinos, I'm sure, don't like to lose money, do they? They don't like to. (laughs) So with with this, so our pseudo league table, we we sort of found there were a few teams that that stuck out. You know, Middlesbrough Mm. being higher, Hull City being further up, which was not a huge surprise to us because we felt they're actually going quite well Mm. and looking like they're they're improving. And West Brom and Cardiff and and Preston, they're sort of dropping down more into that mid-table area. Uh, But moving on to the the individual players now. Because we've we've kind of covered all of those, haven't we? We've looked at the uh, the chance creators, we've looked at the strikers, we've looked at the attacking support players. Yeah. But then we we sort of had an itch we need felt we need to scratch of just looking at just who are the best attacking players. Just mm. period. You know, yeah. Not not putting them into their little categories of who has been the best players attacking wise in the championship. And yeah. And of course, you didn't disappoint, did you? You came up with some stuff. So yeah. What have well, you got for us on that respect? Def- I think it's worth, probably worth saying that the reason we what we wanted to try and do is not come up with the same thing that you know every, everybody else comes up with, which is the headline results and say, well, look, this player scored lots of goals, and he's he's created lots of chances, therefore there, and and you find everybody's talking about the same ten players, mm-hmm. um, and you wonder what you're really adding to the conversation. So we've yeah. tried to look at it from a you know more of a um, well, a slightly different dimension, a slightly different perspective, and look at the roles of the players, see what they're creating within their role and what they would be expected to create and so on. Yeah. So we've done that. But it's tantalising when you go through the lists and you're thinking, why isn't this player involved? And we haven't talked yeah. about him and he's ripping up the division. So as you say, we needed to. We thought we'd, we needed to dip into that. Um, so, so what we did was we... We looked at the top 20 players and we said, here are the players, irrespective of the role that they perform. And you'll see we've got attacking support players, we've got strikers, and we've got chance creators in this top 20. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, who is actually the ones who are delivering the most? And it's probably no great surprise that Keenan and Dewsbury Hall, irrespective of any um, requirements for a particular role, overall is delivering more than any other player in the division from an attacking point of view, as far as we calculate it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just thought it'd be interesting to look at these players and then also take another, uh, take a look at the clubs that they're playing for. Cause I think it, it can be quite revealing that mm. you'd expect, well, the teams that have the ball the most, the teams that have the most territory, the teams that create the most attacking output as a team would have the players who would top this list. Yeah. Um, but there are going to be some teams, there's some players in this list who I think play for teams that you would be a bit surprised that they would be right up there. Um, so Dewsbury Hall, what we did first of all, we came up with an attacking rank number, which is how attacking is their team? How attacking is Leicester City as a in comparison with the rest of the team with the teams in the division? And they're ranked number four overall. 
which isn't yeah. a surprise. If the only surprise is that they're not higher, probably. Yeah, yeah, I would have thought um, they would have been in the top top two or three. But the way we've calculated it, therefore, um, so Dewsbury Hall's number one, and he's playing for a team who you know in the top four for mm-hmm. overall attacking. And then we've got Presencio Somerville at Leeds, number two. And Leeds are ranked number two as an attacking team. So there's a kind of nice little sort of synergy there. But first thing you notice, in the top five, three of the top five are Leeds players. Yeah, it's quite interesting, that. Um, so, you know, that's sort of giving you, well, what's it saying? I mean, obviously it's saying they're a very attacking team. But yeah, um, we've also identified their style as a, as a team. Mm-hmm. And where I've put just one, sometimes we've just got one, it's where really they're out and out. You know, if you look at West Brom, really, as far as you can say, they're an, they're an attack counter-attacking team, yeah. but they don't really exhibit much else that would categorise them as anything else. Mm-hmm. And then some teams, like Norwich, really don't have a, a standout style. There's yeah. nothing much. You can't say, well, they're this or they're that particularly. They're a bit of everything. Do you know the the oh. interesting thing for me? If we were to, so we've we've said Dewsbury Hall's number one, yeah, and Somerville's number two, and we've we've said that there's two other Leeds players in that top five. I think if you asked most people who watch the championship week in week out, and you said who is the person who's not named in that top five, I think most people would say Jack Clark. Yeah, I think most people would come up with that name. And I can tell you now he's not in there. In fact, he's only just inside the top 10. Yeah. Which I find really interesting because he's obviously a very, very good player. Yeah. And he's really good to watch and a fantastic player. But the sheer fact that he's below some of the names in there who don't get anywhere near as much uh, publicity or Mm. column inches in the paper, I found really interesting. And I think it's a a testament to, to how we're weighting this and how we're looking at it. No, we're taking away the subjective side of it and really just looking at the objective data. Mm. So, yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's 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 really really interesting. He's a terrific player, and I can mm. I'm I'm a bit surprised myself. I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. but and I suppose you know you could you could come up with a different order, couldn't you? Just by changing something and saying, "Oh, I think sure. I think this is more important than that," and this is more. Does what this include? Because t- does he take penalties for Sunderland? I believe he does. Because this doesn't include penalty goals, no, it does doesn't. It? No. Yeah, so that being taken away may well yes. change his numbers somehow. Yeah, it may be. But I mean, even when you watch the games, he stands out. I mean yeah, he's a he's a cracking player. It's still it's still a pretty good achievement to be ninth Absolutely. out of about three hundred and fifty players <laughs> yeah, attacking it's players. Good. It's not bad, yeah. is it? I think it shows um, the level that that we hold him in in the fact yeah. that we're surprised he's only ninth. <laughs> yeah. He's also played nearly every minute. Yes. So it's harder to be up there when you've played nearly every minute. I mean, yeah. there might be one or two in there who are going to struggle to keep this mm. going. Interesting. Play five that. games less than he has. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So you've got a smaller sample base, haven't you? So when that we, we haven't got yeah. really small sample sizes because we've we've made that we've we've made it. You know, a qualification at least eight games, haven't they? Yeah, it's, it's a qualification that they've played at least a certain percentage of the available minutes, but yeah. So we haven't got, you know, players in there who've only played three games or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but even I think it's, so... It's a good list, though. Yeah, it's a good list. Juicy Hall top, Somerville there. second, um, Philogene at Hull third, yeah. Ritter 
and Dan James at four and five, Nathan Broadhead at six. I mean, if you're listening to this and you don't want to, you know, just want to say, oh, who the hell's on the list? John Swift at seven. Mm-hmm. John Swift is playing for a team who we have down as number 16 in overall attacking output in the division. Mm-hmm. So that's quite a and he's still yeah, at number seven. Quite an achievement. Yeah. Because yeah. this um, isn't because this isn't weighted, is it? This is just their pure attacking output. This isn't saying, well, we'll give you extra credit because you're playing for a team in 16th. This is just no. he's number seven, despite being in the 16th ranked attacking team. So it's pretty impressive. Yeah. I mean, Plymouth have done well. Ryan Hardy yeah. at, at at eight. Mm-hmm. Um Jack Clark at nine, Sammy Smoddix at ten. You know, mm-hmm. gosh, Sammy Smoddix. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, I, I I really hope for, for for their sake and his sake that he can, but I just can't see he's going to be able to keep this going. But no. Um, no. Mavadidi and Ndidi at eleven and twelve. Mm-hmm. Gabriel Sara at uh, thirteen. Morgan Whitaker and Fina Zaz at Plymouth fourteen yeah. and fifteen. So they got three in the top twenty. Yeah, which is um, pretty pretty good going, isn't it? It is pretty good going. Isaiah Jones at 16, John Rowe at 17, Adam Armstrong at 18, Connor Chapman 19, and Imran Loser at 20. I mean, look, all players that we know have done great. Mm-hmm. Um, the most attacking team in the championship, or the team that produced the highest attacking output as a team, it's which town. Mm. And so... Quite amazing, you know, really, to think incredible. they've come up from League One and, and they're dominating. Yeah. Their style, we have down as primarily pressing. I mean, an attacking style too. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, if you if you had to hang your hat on one style, it's yeah. a, a sort of pressing attacking style of play. Yeah, it's um, interesting. Most of the players are playing for teams, or well, nearly every player in the top sort of twelve, playing for teams who are primarily possession based, which sort of okay. suggests well. You know they got most of the they've got the ball most of the time, so mm-hmm. you that's a big help to an attacking player, definitely. Um, but then you know, as I say, Norwich, Plymouth, um, even Middlesbrough, South, well, Southampton like to get the ball, yeah. Um, Ipswich and Watford, not particularly number one for possession, but still got players up there in the top 20. Mm. Then you were you were asking me, I think, about. What's the spread of strikers to chance creators to attacking support That's players? That's right, yeah. And interestingly, you you would tend to think, well, it's going to be dominated by strikers, and I suppose in a way it is. Hmm. What's that? Uh, nine out of the 20, I think, are strikers. Yeah. yeah. And then we've got, what, three, seven chance creators, mm-hmm. but still four attacking support players in there, yeah. including the number one who, you know, yeah. comes out as an attacking support player <laughs> here in Dewsbury Hall. Um, but also, indeed, Gabriel Sara and Imran Loser mm-hmm. are categorised. There's a, it's a bit subjective that we. It's not subjective in the sense that we've got a way of categorising them, but you know, it's a fluid game, isn't it? So, yeah. who's to say where do you draw the line between attacking support and chance creation? Mm. But um, I think we we could probably talk about that in more detail. We we mentioned again in a previous episode about positions and roles, didn't we? Yeah, and I think yeah. I think that would be a really interesting thing to sort of dive deeper into, um, because I think the more the more you look at the, you know, more attacking teams, I suppose, or not necessarily attacking teams, just just the way the game is going, players don't seem to be 
no, a fullback is not just a fullback. A fullback is given a role to do, and yeah. a centre midfielder has a particular you know task that they need to do for the team, and the striker the same as well. So, just because you're in the number nine position doesn't necessarily mean you're going to do what a classic, you know, in inverted commas, number nine would do is to try and get on the end of things. You might be, I mean, West Brom have used it sometimes, using the the number nine as really a first defender. Yeah. And uh, it's got a very, very different role. So, um, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. But with with here, with, with the team playing style, because we're going to talk, when we get closer to the transfer window, we're going to be looking at potential players that could come in and improve teams, aren't we? Yeah, And of course, we're not just looking for good players. So you could say here, I oh, will just take the first five off the off the list here. You know, they're the five best attacking players. But of course, they you might be playing for, you might be shopping for a team who plays direct style or a counter-attacking yes. style. Yes. So they might not be the most appropriate player for you. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that if you put John Swift into um, a Leicester Leeds uh, or Ipswich, he performed fantastically because I'm sure he's he's good enough to play those different styles. Uh, but if you were looking to, you know, mitigate your risk, I suppose, you would say, well, we're a counter-attacking team. We're looking for players who have performed well in a counter-attacking team style, wouldn't you? Yes, I think so. Yeah, it would. So at um, least it would be an indi- it would be something to look into, wouldn't it? It would mm. be a, a way of being able to um co- sort of um categorize uh the style of play and the style of player. Mm-hmm. So that you can have that, you you can make that um, evaluation. Whereas if you're not even concerning yourself with those things, I mean, in the past, in recruitment, you know, people, it's just been a case of let's see who tops the lists for things, yeah. you know, and and it's that's why you get these misfit moves yeah. where you know, yeah. player did brilliantly and now he can't seem to do anything right, so. Yeah, it's an it's another layer of consideration when you're thinking of a player and how appropriate they are. So if I was so for example, if I had if I was playing a possession based attacking pressing style, uh, which you know, looking at the top teams there, they they mm. tend to leads for sure. Yeah, leads for sure. So Sunderland. I would I would have my two I'd have two attacking support players, and they'd be Keane and Dewsbury Hall. Just happens to be top of the list anyway. But then I'd come all the way down to number 12 in the list. Mm-hmm. I think it would be. Yeah. So I'd have, I'd put Wilfred Indeedy next to him. So it'd be Leicester teammates. Yeah. And then I might choose, I could either choose three attacking support players, sorry, no, three chance creators or and one striker or two and two. So I'm going to go two and two. I'd put, I'd have Jack Clark as one of my chance creators and Dan James as the other. Cause I, even though he's, he's classified as a striker here. Yeah, I'm not sure if that's completely accurate. Might might look into that and, and see if that is the case. Mm. And then Somerville and Rutter up front, or if I was playing with one striker, I'd uh, I'd go Somerville with Philogene in behind him. Yeah, is another chance creator. That'd be strong, wouldn't it? Yeah, no, it would it, it would be pretty some, strong, wouldn't it? You, you'd create some attacking output with that some combination, with that, wouldn't you? That's for sure. Yeah, in this definitely. division, I mean, what's be interesting would be to see what happens when you take that team into the Premier League and that combination mm. of players. Yes, and how do they do at that level? Well, Bur- um, Burnley are sort of answering that at the moment, aren't they? Mm. Of of where they played fantastic, you know, football. You would say they were. Well, I would say they were more possession, pressing, attacking 
than than anything else. You know, playing mm. good football, yeah, but struggled to convert that into into the Premier League. Whereas you, Luton, I would say, is a bit more of an attritional style, and you know they're not doing fantastically well. But I would say that they're they're probably achieving where you, well, maybe even overachieving where you'd expect mm. them to be at the moment. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, it'd be fair to say. Mm. Yep. Well, yeah, good stuff. Well, that's I a think... little. Um, it's worth a look at those players because I still yeah. like the way we're doing things. I still like the fact that we're trying to be a bit more sort of. We're trying to be a bit more forensic in a funny way mm. about things, but it's still good to see. Look, let's just have a list of who's doing, who's producing the most. Who's yeah. um? Who's I wonder who the team is who's highest placed who plays a direct style. Yeah, who do you think that might be? I'm. Well, the, the I would it. don't know the answer. They have to go back and look. I would yeah, guess I'm Plymouth, sure. though. Yeah, could could well be, couldn't they? I don't know though, because they're not oh, they're not high. They're not but I'm trying high, to think who would be. I mean, which teams play direct um, yeah. that would be up there? Yeah, I'm, um, I'm not sure because we we tend to find a course that mm. it is the ones possession pressing attacking tend to be higher, and you know, they're higher in our list, so you'd expect to be higher up the league. Yeah, but it's it's whether. I suppose when we look at the the recruitment side of things, David, if we're looking at um, like Rotherham, for example, uh, mm. so they're not going to be in the same market, you know, looking for players as Leeds United or, or Leicester. Mm. Uh, they're not going to look at the same players because they can't really compete with them, but mm. also they play a different style. So when we when we do go into the recruitment side of things, as we get close to the transfer window, are we going to be able to look at players further down the EFL? That could come in and, mm. you know, and and beyond and beyond that to see. Yeah, we'll be able to look at we'll be able to look at players anywhere in the world, but it Fantastic. will be the the starting point will be um, a an appropriate a sort of relevant set of criteria mm-hmm. for the club, given the resources of the club, and yeah. you know we we won't be necessarily knowing if they have other specific requirements that put, so we'll tend to probably base it as you say on what are our finance financial resources mm. so we won't be pulling out players at the very first stage who we have a reasonable expectation of not being able to afford yeah you know we'll we'll be fishing in a pool that we think at least gives us a chance yeah and then so the the sample that we pull out for leads would be different to the sample we pull out for Rotherham then we'd evaluate that sample in a you know in the way that we say we think they should be evaluated so mm-hmm. according to the output of the player the style of the team that's looking for them and so on but but the initial the initial sample mm-hmm. will reflect the the um capabilities and you know position of the team no, that sounds good yeah I, I like that yeah. because it again it goes back to the whole appropriate players thing yeah so we're not just looking at the best players you know we're, sure. we're looking at the ones that are most appropriate for that not just the playing style but also the financial uh, side of things as well yeah um yeah maybe maybe before we do an episode of that we we could dive into that a little bit deeper because i know we we outlined the recruitment philosophy and the recruitment mm. process but perhaps going into that in into each stage in a little bit more detail uh, as we move into the transfer window perhaps that would be quite interesting because we want to allow, you know, we, we had a look at six games that we've had a look after 12 or 13 games. And just while we're accumulating more more data, 
perhaps we can go a little bit more deeper into that process so everyone's primed and ready when we do get to the the transfer window they know what we're going to be what yeah. we're dealing with what, what, what do you reckon to that definitely yeah absolutely yeah we can yeah, spend a, we can spend a you know an episode on mm. on different stages and on each channel and have it have it build to the point where we do the yeah where we actually do because the job we're not, and... we're not really far away now are we from when no, we're, not. we're no. going to start getting you know the rumor mill is going to pick up and people yeah. are going to start talking about you know is Dewsbury Hall going to move on is Jack Clark going to be still there in in January and like, yeah. they're going to obviously you know if they sell them they sell them if they do sell them are they going to replace them who's going to be the person to replace them with yeah so um yeah be, well, you'd want to be looking because wouldn't you as a club mm -hmm. because you'd want to assume that um there was a possibility somebody's going to come along and make yeah. you an offer that either you can't refuse or the player doesn't want you to refuse absolutely so um yeah there's, there's a really there was an interesting statement wasn't there and i'm i think we should talk about this next week because otherwise it's going to be a four-hour episode but mm. <laughs> there was a a quote i think i sent you earlier in the week about a particular was it a sporting director saying how important it was to scout the person as well as the player yeah and i i think we should probably stop on that because yeah. i think that will lead nicely into the the process of, of recruitment that you're um that you sort of champion and, and that you you adhere to yeah yeah no good i agree i think we'll look we'll look forward to that yeah nice one yeah i think that might be a four-hour episode to be honest <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to break it down <laughs> yeah, <that's right. laughs> serialize yeah. it yeah that's it exactly mm. nice one um anything you want to add to to that for today David? Uh, don't think so no hopefully my sort of deviation into the world of blackjack hasn't yeah, been too I much of a great. stretch but um yeah, i really enjoyed yeah. that actually well. do you know that the thing i like about it is it just gets you to think in a different way mm. And and that's that's what this should be all about, isn't it? Is to try and open your mind up to thinking about a different way of doing things. Hmm. And just the idea of of having a basic strategy. You know, when you when you look at your team when you're watching them, you know, what is your basic strategy? Are you able to to really watch your team and say, Well, we're pretty much this. Hmm. You know, this is this is what we do. But then hmm. do you start to notice any little fine details, any differences? And I would I would imagine that having watched West Brom a few times this this year. Yes, there's that basic strategy, but they do change things up a little bit. And you wonder mm. if that's just their little bit of deeper strategy they go into, a bit of deeper preparation. Mm. Uh, I, I listened to the interviews after the game and, and the players, I think Grady Diangana and Thomas Asante were saying how how much work goes into you know their their weekly preparation. And yeah. I think from their rice miles and their and their sort of laughter, they felt it was maybe a lot more than they were used to with previous coaches. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. so perhaps we're, we're onto something with with mm. Huddersfield style of play when they nearly got promoted, being quite uh, difficult to pin down on West Brom's. Maybe they are a team that that does a lot more of this um, card counting almost of, of teams, well, you know, really going that level deeper. It's it, the. the the sort of fundamental idea is that you want to nail the absolute sort of, uh, well, fundamentals, really. You want mm. to say, look, these are the basics. These are the things that we just do because they make sense. Mm -hmm. You know, we know yeah. in, in Blackjack it's based, it's backed up with mathematics. But generally speaking, we say, look, this is what we do. But then there are certain situations when the environment moves in our favor or moves one way when we can capitalize on that 
And there are other situations where we need to go the other way because it's moved against us. So yeah. we don't change the way we we still we still operate the basic strategy, mm-hmm. but we just there's an overlay on it. Yeah. You know, we just dial it up or dial it down. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, I mean, that's, there's probably lots of areas of life if you think sat down and thought about them that where that applies really. Absolutely. You yeah. Know? Yeah, it's I'm it's nice it's to a, try and think, but I bet it, there are. It's a really, like I said, it's a it's a nice way of just stepping back and just looking things, looking at things in a different way. And mm. I like that. That's um that that's what interests me. That's why I like our our conversations because um I usually leave with with something that uh, that makes me look at things in a in a slightly different direction. So it's uh, that's good. good. But yeah, I think we'll end on that one. Uh, we'll okay. put all our bets into the middle, yeah. and uh, go all in. And we'll see you in the next episode of uh, Attacking the Championship. See you soon. Bye-bye.